Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. This week we feature Percy Crawford and his weekly television broadcast, Youth on the March. Percy's first experience in radio to reach lost souls came in 1925 when he was a student at Biola, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Biola had an extremely powerful radio station, KTBL, perhaps the first all-religious radio station in the world. Percy got up to the microphone and preached to a large audience. He understood the power of radio to get his message across to those who needed Jesus in their lives. Today's sermons, with a little help from his family, are taken from 1949 Youth on the March television broadcasts. American history reveals that our nation has been built by young men with a vision. This vision was based upon a sincere reverence of both God and country. Such a man of today is Percy Crawford, whom God has raised up to challenge the youth of the 20th century to preserve that foundation and to build upon it for a greater tomorrow. Will you give me your attention, please, just for a few moments? I want to talk to you from the Word of God, the Bible. Over in John 3, 3, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Will you listen just for a few moments there, please, while I pass on to you this very important thing that I'm sure will help you? Jesus is the only authority we have as to how we can get to heaven. He's left us the message in the word of God, the Bible. Now listen, this isn't going to be church for you. I just want to talk to you just a little bit. How can I know when I die, I go to heaven? That's the question of questions, all right? Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, what is it to be born again? How, how can I be born again? You know, H-O-W spells W-H-O. I used to ask how, but when I came to know the who, the how didn't bother me near so much. And that's the question. How can a man be born when he is old? How can a leopard change his spots? How, how, how on down the line? Anybody can ask a question. But my friend, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's your question. That's your problem tonight. How can you be born? Well, you say, well, what is it to be born again? What is the new birth? First of all, the new birth is not. It's not church membership. You can belong to a dozen churches and still be lost. It, second, it's, it's not a, a baptism. Some people say, well, I've been baptized, I'm all right. God says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what he demands. It's not confirmation. Some people brag on the fact, well, I've been confirmed, I'm all right, I'll go to heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. Ritual will never save anybody. Ritualism is not the thing that God demands for you to go to heaven. You say, well, I know what you want, you want me to reform. No, I don't. If you were to stop sinning from tonight on and live a perfect life, which you couldn't, if you were to live a perfect life from tonight on, you'd still go to hell, if that's all it was. There's more to being born again than just reformation, not reform. You say, well, don't you want me to stop using dope? Don't you want me to stop uh, drinking dope? That isn't the thing I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about, my friend, being born again in order to go to heaven. You must, you know, you, know, you can take an apple, uh, uh, an apple that's rotten, and, and you can... Uh, uh, take and uh, coat that rotten apple with wax and you can have an artist paint it and it'll look lovely and put it on the mantle. People say, what a wonderful apple. 
Yet you take your butcher knife and uh, cut that thing right in half and you got the same old rotten apple. And you can take your life and fix it up and coat it out around and put a nice suit of clothes on you and you still got the same old rotten heart just like mine. Sin stained and black before a holy God. That's why Jesus said to this man, and he wasn't a drunkard, he wasn't a dope fiend, he wasn't vile, he wasn't of the lowest of the low. He was a church member, a, a, apparently a good man, an educated man, a university man. Jesus said, you got to be born again. You must be born anew from above. That's what he said, I didn't say it. You say, I don't like that. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus said it. If you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. Well, you say, what is it? I don't know. You say, do you mean to tell me you're talking to me tonight? You don't know what you're preaching? I don't know what the new birth is. But I know how you can get it. There are a lot of things I can't explain. I can't explain electricity. Go over there in your home to your room there and push that uh, button in the wall and electric light comes on. Can you tell me what electricity is? You cannot. You can describe it. You can't define it. You don't know. And yet we believe in it. Television. There you are in your living room. There you are looking at that television set now and you see me. Can you tell me how and what takes place and describe and analyze and define that? You can't. One of the laws of God we've harnessed. There are lots of mysteries what we would believe in them. And I know this when you heard that New Jersey state trooper stand there tonight and testify to you that Jesus Christ transformed his heart. That's a fact. I'm not talking about something. A reality in his life that something's taken place that's made him different. That's what you need. And I know how you can get it. When you reach the place of desperation where you know before a holy God that your life is sin-stained and black and that there's no hope and you've tried everything under the sun and you're desperate and yet you want to live, you don't want to go to hell. You call on the blessed Son of God who went to Calvary and laid down his life for you and trust him. Then, my friend, you live forevermore. That's the greatest thing in all the world. You, you trust him and you claim him and the Spirit of God does something in your life that transforms it. And God writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life and you live to please him. That's what we call salvation, being born again. Do you need that tonight? Do you want it? Do you want to live? Do you want to live eternally in heaven forevermore, more than you want to breathe and eat today? God will save you only when that takes place in your life. You know, when I was a student at the University of California, a freshman, I took a course there called Psychology X, they called it. That sounds good. The uh, president of the university taught it, 6,000 students at that time when I attended, and uh, they poked fun and ridiculed at the Bible. They poked fun and ridiculed the idea of being born again. And the, and the president quoted some Frenchman as an authority and, and ridiculing the idea of being born again. And finally, when it came question time, I stood up just a trembling freshman, and I said, sir, Gladstone once said, give me one example and it's better than a thousand reasons. And when you see a man stand up and testify to the fact that he was taken from a, a, a lowly mission and transformed from his sin into a, 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 a saint by trusting Jesus, I said, who's any little Frenchman to laugh at it? And I sat down and I thought I'd be thrown out, but the crowd applauded. They knew I had a point. When you see a man or woman such as these young men and women here tonight that are not paid to come and sing and play for you, They've come here of their own volition, desiring that you might be introduced to this Savior who can snap the fetters of sin in your life and write your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see reality. And that's why God has caused you to stop, look, and listen tonight, my friend, there, by your television set, that you might realize that there's hope for you regardless of who you are. That's the greatest piece of news the old world's ever heard. That's what we want you to trust tonight. 
Will you let him cause you to be born again and give you new desires and victory over your sin so that you'll live forever with him in heaven? I hope so. Right now. May we bow our heads in a word of prayer. Now our four sons, Don, Dick, Dan, and Dean. Boys. is missing from this program on the air, but we have a great announcement, and for us, indeed, it's rare. We've told you lots about our boys, that they're our pride and joy, but now we have our baby girl, and not another boy. Of course, you know, we need her to accompany our quartet, for as her mother older grows, she'll take her place, you bet. Our four Ds are so proud and glad for this sister that is theirs. They prayed with us for a little girl, and God answered all our prayers. If she's a little like her mother, she'll suit us to a team. To look and play and sing like her, we'll be pleased as we can be. They left this Christmas bundle, Mark Crawford, on the bag. Don't open until Christmas was not written on the tag. So we peeped on Saturday morning at the 7.30 hour and found this little baby girl who looks just like a flower. Donna Lee, we have named her. You see, she's another D. Her feminine touch was needed by all our family. Her mother is delighted that at last she has her girl. She'll teach her the piano and hopes her hair will curl. We're thankful we can share this news with you, kind telecast friend. Our baby's life and talents to God's own cause will lend. And if you'd like to send Mrs. Crawford a card, you can do it. She's at Hahnemann Hospital, Broad and Race, Philadelphia. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. There's Deanie over there saying goodnight to Donna Lee and Mama. We now continue with the second sermon. But now say, listen, let me talk to you for a few moments, will you please? We feel it's most important that we think on things that are worthwhile in this day and age when people are thinking lightly about eternity. Will you just give me about six or seven minutes of your time while I talk to you about the greatest thing in all the world? I was reading over in uh, the uh, book of Luke, the 14th chapter, the 15th verse. And when one of them that sat at meat with Jesus heard these things, uh, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and so on and so on. A wonderful thing about this was that Jesus was invited to a supper. Seated there at this great feast, 
the man beside him said, uh, happy is the man that sits down and eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. Happy is that man. And uh, Jesus said, told him this story. He told him the story of a man who had a great dinner prepared and he invited all his friends and at supper time he sent his servant around with a special invitation knocking at the door and said, come for all things are now ready. And he came to the first house and the man said, well now I'd like to come. But I, I've, just, I've just bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and uh, see it. I pray thee have me excused. More interested in real estate than the real state of the soul. Practical things, you know, as he thought. And uh, so the servant went down the steps and made his way, came to the next place, knocked on the door. And he said, my master has sent me, come for all things are now ready. He had a good excuse. He began to make excuses at manufacturer. He said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. The servant wasn't going to argue with him. He was there to invite him. Preacher's business is not to force you or argue you into the kingdom of heaven. And he went down the steps, came to the next place, knocked the door. My master sent me and said, come for all things are now ready. And he said, well, I'd like to come, but I, I married a wife and I can't come. You know, the wife sometimes gets a lot of things wished on her that she doesn't really deserve. Using her, the butt of his excuse, and so uh, he went his way. Came back and reported, and he said, Master, they're all making excuses. What would you do if you prepared a big meal and nobody come and eat it? He said, go out into the highways and hedges and bring in the, the halt and the maimed and bring them all in. And out goes the servant and brings in a great crowd up the street, and, and uh, they march and take their places. And the master comes in and sees a few empty seats. What are these empty seats doing? He said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, not with a shotgun, not with a pitchfork. Persuade them, urge them. And he goes out again and brings in a slower procession of halls, crippled and lame and blind, and they take their places and fill in this lovely palatial feast. You say, what's that for? Jesus said, I turn over here in uh, the Revelation, the 19th chapter, and I read where it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And I want to tell you, someday in heaven, my friend, when we get there, we're going to have the greatest feast the world has ever dreamt of. Talk about your $100 dinners, my friend. We're going to have a dinner that's going to put everything into shame. Sit down with the Lamb of God. But you can't come. I can't come. Into my life has come the stain of sin. Into your life has come the stain of sin. And you can't go to heaven. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You're a hell-deserving sinner like me. God knew that. So 1,900 years ago, broken and bruised and battered, Jesus made his way up the hill, Calvary, and there on the cross he died in order to open up for you and me a way to heaven. And we offer that to you tonight. Now I want to ask you something. You there by the television said, now never mind that other person, you, I'm talking to you. What excuse have you got for not becoming a Christian? What excuse do you have for not wanting to go to heaven? What, if I were to go to you tonight and say, will you receive the Son of God and go, what would you say? Somebody said, well, I'd become a Christian, only it's too gloomy a life. My friend, I've never had such a good time in all my life since I've been a Christian. Wonderful time since Christ has come into my life. Oh, I know I've met some flat tires, some deadbeats, some dried up fossils, but I've had a wonderful time since I've had Christ. So have all these young people. Man there sitting now right by his television set, he said, well, I'd become a Christian, only there's too much to give up. You know the funny thing about it? You don't have to give up one thing when you become a Christian. When you receive the Son of God, my friend, you don't have to give up one thing. You said, you mean to say I don't have to give up drink and dope and murder and all these things? No, you don't. You give in to the Son of God, my friend, and He will give you joy and peace and, uh, and, and give you the desire to live for Him, and you won't give up, you'll give in. That means a lot. Give in to Him and trust Him and receive Him. That's just an excuse. Somebody says there, well, I never go to your old churches, but there are too many hypocrites in the church. That's all. Uh, you ever see any hypocrites in politics or logic? Of course you do. 
But my friend, you'll find in the truly born-again church the best type of society the whole world's ever seen. If you stay away from Christ because of some hypocrite, you're smaller than a hypocrite. In order to hide behind this pulpit, uh, the pulpit must be bigger than me and I must be smaller than the pulpit. And so if you hide behind a hypocrite, you're smaller than a hypocrite. What did he do to you? He never harmed you. He did you no harm. What are you turning your back on him for? That's a petty, paltry little, little... Your wife said, let's go to church. And you say, hypocrite, sure. And that's sending you to hell, my friend. You need to, that's an excuse. You need the Son of God. Man says there, he's young. A young woman says, well, I've got lots of time. That's your excuse. When I get old and decrepit and ready to cave in, I'll call on God, get religious. It's amazing how people get religious when they're dying. That's an excuse. You haven't got plenty of time. How do you know within the next year the atomic bombs aren't going to burst? How do you know tonight when you lay your head on the pillow that may not be your last night? You don't know. God says, now is the accepted time. Today, if you hear my voice, not tomorrow, today. That's an excuse. Don't make it. You know, I was preaching in Seattle, Washington. There at the outskirts of uh, Lake Union and Lake Washington, they unite. And I had a service there. And at the close of the service, at the, when I gave the invitation Sunday morning, down the aisle came two young men, sat in the front seat and gave their hearts to Christ. In a few minutes, another ma a man stood up and marched down, pushed the boys aside, sat between them, put his arms around them and cried like a baby. There were his sons thanking the Lord. He was so happy, so noticeable. I talked to them afterwards. We went away down to California again, and I received a letter from the lady who played the piano. She said, do you remember those two young men who so noticeably received the Lord that Sunday morning? I did. She said they went swimming the next day after you left. And they were gathered around there uh, swimming and they went down the beach to make a bonfire to get some wood and gathering sticks and they decided to ride back on the train. There was some fat cars going on. They jumped up on and the, uh, uh, the uh, beam fell off one of the cars and hit one of the boys on the shoulder and knocked him down and between 17 and 17 cars ran over his body. He said five minutes before, he said, you know, I'm so glad those boys came and I received Jesus and I'm looking for him to come again someday. Yeah. And my friend... That's, that's a lesson to us. You and I, we don't know how long we have to live. Will you say, while seated here by the, my television set, I've received a pressing invitation to be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I pray thee have me excused. We you say, no, by the grace of God, I'm coming. God will bless you. And you'll be happy as you receive him as your Savior. Our four sons, uh, Don, Dick, Dan, and Dean, and Mrs. Crawford, you know, isn't here tonight, but she's doing nicely. They're going to sing the old-time religion. Boy, there it is. Tis the old-time religion, tis the old-time religion, tis the old-time religion, and it's good enough for me. It was good for mother and daddy. It was good for mother and daddy. It was good for mother and daddy. And it's good enough for me. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. And it's good enough for me. Is the old-time religion, is the old-time religion, is the old-time religion, and it's good enough for me. Darwin's evolution monkeys, Darwin's evolution monkeys, Darwin's evolution monkeys, ain't no kin to me nor mine, tis the old Religion is the old time. Religion is the old time. 
boys. You know, I was walking down Chestnut Street the other day with all the crowds, and as I was walking along, a fellow right in front of me stopped. He looked around, looked up at the tall buildings, and he said out loud, he said, Oh, I'm going the wrong way. He had lots of company, lots of people going that way. And you know, I thought immediately of the many people throughout our nation tonight, perhaps you, going down the broad road, but going the wrong way. And I turned to my Bible in my testament, and I found this in John, the third chapter, the 36th verse, where Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is God's signpost to point us to the Son of God, to heaven. And you want to go to heaven tonight. I'll guarantee if I were to go right up to you there now and say, Here, you want to go to heaven? You'd say, well, well, sure, but I have my idea how I can. But that's no good. God has told us in the Bible, and that's the only way you have of knowing anything about heaven, is through the Bible. He said, he laid down a proposition. He said, he that believeth. Now this Greek word is pistuo, to give allegiance over to. If I want to go to heaven, God said, I must believe on him. On whom? Believe on. Give allegiance over to him. To be willing to say to the godless foul mouth bunch outside that laugh and sneer and ridicule, go ahead and laugh. I'm trusting the Son of God and I believe he's big enough to save me. And you know that's the only time you appreciate a Savior. You only appreciate when you're drowning. That's when you appreciate a lifeguard and a lifeline thrown to you. When you're drowning. You know, I was driving up through the Pocono Mountains one summer, and as I was driving along, I stopped by myself. I was in the car watching some boys swim in the lake there in the mountains. And suddenly I saw out in the middle of the lake two hands go up. All I saw were two hands. And I said to one of the boys, and said, hey, isn't that somebody drowning? He said, well, it looks like it. Well, I said, why isn't somebody doing something about it? I was out the car, didn't even time, take time to take my wristwatch off or anything out of my pockets, jumped in the water, swam out, got him. And when I got there, do you think I said to him, now, son, I have my life-saving certificate, and I want to give you a few thoughts on what you should do when you're drowning. The first thing you should do, never splash like that. That's the worst thing. And the second thing you should, never, never breathe under the water. More people are drowned breathing underwater. No, I didn't say a thing. Didn't have to say a thing. As soon as I came up to him, that little eight, nine-year-old boy threw his little arms around my neck, and he hung on, didn't even have to tell him a thing. Took him into the shore, and when we got into shore there, that man got a hold of him and worked on him. In the afternoon, I drove back again and said, how's that lad who nearly... Oh, so there he is out there playing ball. Yeah. All he needed to do was to get a hold, and I didn't have to tell him a thing. My friend, when you're sinking in the pool of despair and conscious of the fact that your life is sin-stained and black and you're facing hell and you're lost for all eternity, you'll reach out for the Savior. On whom? The person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nineteen hundred years ago, broken and bruised and battered, Jesus made his way up the hill Calvary and there on the cross. He died for you, for you. Oh, I know you know about that. You sing about it. You talk about it. But have you appropriated it? The person, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. He's the one. He's the person. And then the pay is you have everlasting life. He that believeth on him hath everlasting life. You live forever and ever and ever and ever. That's a wonderful thing. That's yours tonight. It's within your grasp. All you need to do is to take a hold of it. You say, how long is that? I don't know. They, a man once said that if a, a sparrow were to take a little bit of dirt from this continent of ours in his beak and fly over the Atlantic Ocean and drop it in Europe. Come back, get another little peck full. Go over again, drop it. Fly back, get another one. And when he had transferred all of this country over to Europe, Eternity would just be the beginning. It's a long time. And I'm glad, my friend, you can have a long time in heaven or a long time in hell if you reject him. For the penalty of rejection, the proposition is to believe. The person is his son. The pay is everlasting life, but the penalty for disbelief is the wrath of God. He that believeth not 
God says, the wrath of God abideth upon him. You say, you don't try to scare me with it. Well, Jesus did. I didn't do it. The wrath of God, he said. Over there in Revelation, it says, they, they, in the judgment time, they cried out and said to the rocks and mountains, and fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Go ahead. Be smart. Be defiant. Go the broad road with all the godless bunch and take his name in vain. Just as sure as you do, God will send you into hell to the wrath of God. You say, I don't like it? It's making a difference. You're facing one or the other, heaven or hell. And I'm glad to tell you he offers you tonight life eternal. My brother, well and strong, husky. Uh, well, my other brother was a doctor and this one was strong and muscles. And it worked as a, a, a tinsmith and a blowpiper. He found out he had uh, multiple cirrhosis, the vanishing away of the muscles, Lou Gehrig's disease. We flew him out. He visited with us here in Philadelphia uh, some months ago. And he went to church a couple of times with me and wasn't by, oh, he didn't care much about religion. But uh, the day came he was to leave and I got with him alone in our living room and I said, Willoughby, it's been swell having you here with us. You're going to go now. I may never see you again. He knew that. I said, you're going to die. He knew that. And uh, I said, I've been praying for you for all of these years. For over 20 years I've come home and even though I get in at 5 o'clock at night in the morning, I'd get down on my knees by my bed and mention your name. And I said, you believe the Bible, don't you? He said, yes. I said, you know you're a sinner? He said, certainly. I said, you believe Jesus died on the cross? He said, yeah. I put out that hand. I said, will you take my hand on it? Will you take my hand and say, yes, I believe on Jesus and receive him? <laughs> he smiled at me and pushed my hand aside and said, Purse, you know I'd take your hand, but I couldn't take your Savior. My brother went down to the airport, took a plane and flew off out into eternity, never to see him again. He died in his sleep. No hope. No Savior. You say, surely he won't go to hell. The wrath of God, God says, is upon him. He rejected knowingly, willingly. And that's why I've come to you tonight just as if you were my brother and my sister. I don't want to sell you anything. I want to win you for heaven so that when you die, you can know you have a hold of the nail-pierced hand. He'll take you clear through the glory. Will you do that tonight? Will you settle it tonight? I hope you will. May we bow our heads in a word of prayer. Now as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I've talked to you just as if you were my brother and my sister and my dad and my mother. I've put you the plain words of Jesus to you. You either have everlasting life or the wrath of God. Right there by your television set tonight. Why not just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I've had a yearning to know this fact in my life and I'm going to trust you now. Bow your head and say that to him and write me about it. Tell me about it. I'd like to know. We'll send you a gospel of John and help you. Our Father, bless these. May there be a great many tonight, far and wide, settle this thing and believe on the Son of God and receive Him and have everlasting life through the Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. You've been listening to Percy Crawford and Youth on the March. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers. Our four boys are ready, Don, Dick, Dan, and Dean. They're going to sing the fire song for you. Boys, go ahead.
you want God's book.